Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know the show where I sit down with Amazing Human and today's Amazing Human, Antonio Neves. Longtime friend, Antonio is an author. He's also the host of the Best Thing podcast and an amazing speaker if you haven't heard him speak before. Uh, he's a success coach. He regularly does keynotes and stuff all over the place, which is part of how I originally got connected with, with him. And then he has um, hosted a number of things that I've been a participant in, and he is just a rock star. He's also an award-winning journalist. Uh, I've also seen him on TV where he had his own television show for a long time. He is a career coach to prominent CEOs, startup founders like me, uh, politicians, entertainers, athletes, and beyond. He's also a smart guy. He's got his master's from Columbia. But this episode is a must view. Uh, if you've ever felt like you're stuck or you might be stuck right now, uh, this is about getting unstuck. It's also how to constructively hold yourself and other people accountable, how to find opportunity because Antonio believes, as do I, that opportunity is all around you, even if it sometimes doesn't seem that way. And very importantly, how to stay true to your vision and to stay true to yourself in the process. We also talk, among other things, about his new book called Stop Living on Autopilot. I've got a copy. You should get one too. This is also the subtitle here is How to Take Responsibility for Your Life and Rediscover a Bolder, Happier You. It's a super raw and inspiring book, and I'm very excited to have him on the show. So please give a warm wel welcome. Uh, tap your desk or your screen or whatever where you're watching and enjoy this episode with my man Antonio Neves. This episode of the show is brought to you by Creative Live. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. Bar none, no questions asked, and you're like, wait a minute, isn't, aren't you the founder of that? Indeed, I am, and that is one of the reasons I believe deeply in it, but I will let 10 plus million students speak for me in this endeavor. Uh, this is where Pulitzer Prize winners, it's where the New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best, teach classes in creativity like photography, video, art, design, music and audio, craft, maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of these disciplines. There's health and wellness classes. There, It's the total package for any creator or entrepreneur. And I, I have to say that I have put my entire lifeblood into this thing, as have the dozens and dozens of people who work there and about a thousand of the world's top creators who teach on this platform. Well, I used to encourage you to buy classes and would have discounts on those classes, but you know what? This year we are doubling down on subscription. Well, a single class used to be like $99 or $149, and we have now moved to a, a subscription first world where you get all of the content. That's right, tens of thousands of hours of content, thousands of classes, for one subscription price and it's a hundred and change over at creativelive.com slash creator pass. That is always where the best price on that exists at again, creativelive.com slash creator pass to unlock the entire library. All right, uh, that about wraps it up. Now let's get back to the show. Good morning, internet. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm Chase Jarvis. You know the show. This is where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I do everything I can to unpack their brain with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career and hobby and in life. We are live today. I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Antonio Neves, as an author. We're going to talk about his new book today. Uh, he's the host of the Best Thing podcast, uh, a renowned speaker. I've seen him speak in front of huge crowds, places like uh, Big Omaha, one of my favorite places to go speak. Uh, in front of lots of corporate clients like Google and others. 
He's also a success coach. Uh, confession: I've I've asked for his favor a couple times behind closed doors when I've been stuck, uh, and he spent hundreds of hours in front of live television cameras where he was a host of a couple of national television shows. He's a dear friend, coaches startup CEOs, founders, politicians, entertainers, athletes, and beyond. I consider him a dear friend. He's a smart guy. Went to Columbia, and we're talking about a, a bunch of stuff. But uh, today, importantly. Uh, this week, rather, stop living on autopilot. Antonius Nabuk hits the shelves. My dear friend, let's welcome with the big internet applause, clap, tap your, tap your keys wherever you are in the world, bringing in Antonio Neves. Antonio, welcome to the show, my good man. What's good, man? It's good to see you again. Happy, <laughs> happy today. <laughs> I love it. Congratulations on the book, buddy. Big day, Big week for you, for sure. Oh man, it's been exceptional. It's funny. This kid from small town Michigan, uh, who who wanted to escape from the day he was born. The fact that this bad boy is in book in bookstores, as you know that feeling when you can walk in and touch it and feel it, it's pretty amazing. It, it uh, there are a few feelings like it. And speaking of that book, just to show you, I've been tearing into this thing. I got all these pages dog-eared and highlighted, and uh, so I want to say thank you for providing some value to so many of us around the world. And uh, but for those of you who aren't familiar with Antonio, I want to, if you would indulge me for a moment, my good man, not to pretend that we haven't known each other for more than a decade, uh, but pretend that there's some folks, I see people chiming in from Italy, from New York, we got a New Jersey, LA, Sacramento, uh, where's New Zealand in the house? I saw that earlier to say we've got a worldwide audience would be an understatement. Uh, but for those folks who maybe new to your work, give us a little bit of backstory. Who are you and uh, where'd you come from? Yeah, well, as you mentioned today, what the internet will tell you is that I'm a leadership speaker. In normal times, I travel across the country anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 miles a month, giving keynotes to major corporations like Google, Amazon, to small credit unions in the middle of the country. I'm a success coach, working with a lot of entrepreneurs, founders, executives, you name it. And as you mentioned, now the author of Stop Living on Autopilot, I've been doing this work, Chase, now for about nine years when I branched off from after a 12-year career in the television industry in New York City, where I worked for major networks like NBC, where I hosted a business show, PBS, BET Networks. I uh, started off uh, with Nickelodeon, Long Dreadlocks, and it still blows <laughs> me away. I remember those dreadlocks, man. Yeah, that was another dude. It still blows me away when I think about moving to New York City uh, with less than $1,000 in my bank account with this dream of breaking into the television industry. So that's what the internet will tell you about me today. I have to add, you know, I think the internet is cool. The Google search is cool, but I typically find the most fascinating stuff about people would never show up in a Google search, would never show up on the internet. I'm from a small town in Michigan, one of those towns that people don't leave. I was raised not far from a NASCAR speedway where I used to sell race programs for the races. Those were some interesting days. I can tell you that for sure. Um, but today, you know, I'm the husband of Gigi and I'm the father of a four-year-old twins, August and Harper. So that, that's the Cliff Notes version. Well, speaking of your bio, one of the things that I loved in the book um, and, you know, to, I guess to dive right in, but it's, a, I think it's a fantastic entree into any conversation where we want to learn a little bit more about you. And I think you, you use this as a vehicle to get into the book, which is, well, what is on the internet about you? And I think this can be said for so many people that I know who are the top of their class in, you know, world-class performers in any discipline, what the internet says about you and what you have been through what you think about yourself, 
sometimes at three in the morning when you're staring at your ceiling. Um, those might be very, very different things. Um, so if you would, why don't you talk about some of those things, things that uh, aren't in your Google bio or um, that people, nice things that people say about you when they introduce you on a, on a podcast or a national uh, television show. And these are many of the things that you open the book with, which is, again, I think a fantastic way for opening your heart and reminding all of us that the world is not the shiny, perfect place that it might look like on the Internet. Um, give us a little insight there. Yeah, 100 percent. The Internet does not tell the whole story. Uh, I, I jumped the book off in 2016, where according to the Internet chase, your boy Antonio was living his best life, speaking all across the world married, uh, newborn twins, had the proverbial house with the uh, the white fence. So on, on paper, your boy was killing it. LinkedIn looked good. Even the bank account looked okay, et cetera. But the interesting thing is that my life uh, that wasn't on the internet wasn't going so good. Uh, I had gained 30 pounds due to stress uh, of being a husband, of being a provider, of being a father. I grew a big old beard, man, uh, to hide the weight gain, which just so you know, it did not hide the weight gain at all. Um, I became that dude that found himself numbing and sedating in the evenings. Uh, that I could numb and sedate with Amazon Prime and Netflix, but also more than likely that looked like numbing with that glass of wine or two, or maybe sometimes three. Uh, funny enough, uh, when the stress and anxiety uh, was going on, it was so real. I found myself doing something I never thought I would do. I became a secret cigarette smoker. Uh, in the past in my life in New York City and different travels, uh, yeah, I've had that. You'd have that occasional cigarette with a beer with somebody back in the day, but I became a secret cigarette smoker dealing with all the stress and anxiety that was going on for me. And I can still recall I would wear this bright green gardening glove, Chase, and I would smoke in alleys in LA. And the reason why I'd wear this bright green gardening glove is because my wife didn't know that I smoked and I didn't want her to smell the smoke on my hands. And I'll never forget that one day I was smoking a cigarette in the Santa Monica street alley. And what I perceived to be a homeless man came up to me and he was like, Hey man, can I bum a cigarette from you? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Looked like he had seen much better days. We start talking like smokers do. At some point he asked me about the green gardening glove. And I'm like, Oh, my wife doesn't know that I smoke. I wear this so she can't smell it. Chase, he looked at me like I committed a crime, like I was breaking a law. And he said something to me, man, that I will never forget. He said, hey, man, you got to figure that out. And there was an expletive, uh, expletive in there. You got to figure that out. And for me, that was a, a powerful moment because I was living on autopilot. I was going through the motions, even though everything on paper, I had checked off, Chase, all of the boxes that the quote unquote American dream said you're supposed to check off. Yet here I was unfulfilled. And we can get into why, you know, I think that was, but this man telling me, this homeless man, that I had to figure my out uh, was a game changer. Well, uh, thank you for being vulnerable. And I think it's, uh, it is a great vehicle to get into your story and more importantly into what uh, I think life is really about that is managing um, who we are on the inside, trying to make ourselves, you know, happy and fulfilled in a world where perceptions might not meet reality. And if I've learned anything from sitting down with hundreds of people on this show, uh, you were a longtime host on Creative Live, and you, you know we've done, you know, billions of minutes of, of basically live internet. All of those folks, people who I think the internet looks up to, um, 
renowned performers in every field, if I know anything, it is that is a unifying fact that we are all human. And the thing that it looks like on the outside, trying to reconcile that with what's going on on the inside, are we living our best life? Are we not just happy or successful, but are we fulfilled? There's uh, often a gap. And what I perceived your book to be, um, Stop Living on Autopilot, is how to close that gap. Autopilot is the thing that the world wants for you or that you, um, yeah, that, that, that looks good on the outside, but, you know, getting off autopilot is really about reconciling with who you truly are, what you truly want in the world. So, um, why did you write that book? Is this a thing that, uh, you know, my belief is that it's universal, but clearly if you wanted to write the book, you felt like it wasn't being addressed. So, you know, give me a little bit more on the why of uh, your newest book, Stop Living on Autopilot. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I found out that, that that rut that I was in, that funk that I was in, that I wasn't the only one. After I'd give keynotes, I'd give talks, so many men and women across the country, across the globe would come up to me and say, hey, man, I'm not nearly as happy as I look on Instagram. I don't feel nearly as successful as I look on LinkedIn. So first and foremost, I realized that I wasn't the only one going through something like this. Um, this book, first and foremost, there are so many self-help books out there. There's so many personal development books out there. I wanted to do something a little bit different with this, Chase, because I feel like a lot of the, the self-help out there is kind of a, a pat on the back. It's like, hey, man, everything's okay. It's going to be all right. And that's cool. You read the book. This book is direct. It's raw. It's definitely more of a, a punch, a, a soft punch to the esophagus to get your attention as opposed to a, a pat on the back because... I feel like in society nowadays, one word we don't like to talk about is accountability. And we can get into that here a little bit more because at that phase in 2016, I was pointing my finger at the world, uh, why things weren't working out for me, as opposed to pointing the finger at myself and asking myself some real questions. But this book is a real direct, raw uh, encounter for the reader because, you know, people in lives will tell us things like when things don't work out, Chase, as you know, people will say things like, oh, well, well, maybe it wasn't meant to be. But I'm the dude that, as the coach will say, was it not meant to be or did you give up? <laughs> did, did you stop doing the work? We forget that. And people e even say things to the point of, ah, oh, you know, it's it's never too late. It's never too late. And I'm that person that says, yes, it's never too late. And the longer you wait, the harder it's going to get. So in many ways, this book is a wake up call, but it also is the blueprint. Uh, it's also a, a reminder because when I found myself in 2016 in a really deep and dark funk, I, I can still remember reading an article in the New York Times and two um, business owners who started a business in the 1990s in New York City were being interviewed. And you know, New York City in the 1990s was a lot different than it is today in 2021. And at some point, one of the guys being interviewed said, oh man, I really miss the old New York. But his business partner corrected him. He said, you don't miss the old New York. What you miss is the old you, who you were during that time while you were starting that company, that hustle, that grind, that optimism, that love that you had. So I wrote this book because I found that in 2016, I found myself playing not to lose at life as opposed to playing to win. Uh, just briefly, we've all watched that football game or basketball game when that team comes out and they're just killing it in the first half and they're up 33 to nothing at halftime. And then something happens, Chase, they come back after halftime, they were up 33 to nothing. It's the fourth quarter It's two minutes to go. And they're only up by three points. 
And what happens is that team stopped playing to win. They started to play not to lose. And those are two different ways we can approach life. So in many ways, this book is a reminder for people how to, quote unquote, play to win again. In what ways did you change when you had to face this reconciliation moment in 2016 and shift gears out of playing not to lose and playing to win? Use yourself as an example here, because I believe that in the in the particular lies the universal, right? Your story is going to be uh, medicine and a reminder for so many. So tell us, if you would, um, in as vulnerable way as possible, what things, what specific steps you took in order to shift out of that uh, instead of playing not to lose, playing to win mentality? Yeah, first and foremost, I had to have that real honest moment with myself uh, to where I was in life and the decisions I was and, and was not making. I had to take responsibility for that. You know, I think we always talk about making decisions, but we have to remind people that not making a decision is also making a decision. Uh, something else I'd realized during that time, Chase, was that in my experience, I'm sure you agree with this 100%, man, and that is no one who has accomplished anything of significance did it alone. But I found myself during that time retreating, uh, not returning friends, phone calls, text messages, not meeting up with people as much as possible. So one thing I had to do was recommit to my relationships. So first and foremost, you know, I have my community of allies in here in L.A. that I had to continue to meet with on a regular basis. Uh, second, something else that's critical that made a big difference was uh, I started going back to therapy. Uh, I think there are quite a few things that were unresolved in my life that I, that I needed to address. I've always been a proponent. I'm a coach and I've always been a proponent of working with coaches. Uh, one thing that I really had to address, Chase, and this does get personal for me, and it's um, at times challenging to talk about, is one of the reasons I was struggling in 2016 is because I feel like the manual, if you will, uh, the guidebook I was given for life had come to an end. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. We get to a certain point, but then the, the guidebook, it ends, and we have to take control. Uh, I was one year into marriage, and look, growing up, uh, I experienced a lot of instability, Chase, between my mom. I moved over 15, over 15 times before I graduated from high school. Between my mom and dad are a total of six divorces. My mother's been divorced three times. My father's been divorced three times. Uh, the truth was still at that time, I did not know what it meant to be in a successful relationship. So my marriage was struggling and we were in therapy, deep into therapy uh, because of that. Like, I'm like, what does a good relationship look like? Even as a, a father, all of a sudden to, to newborn twins. Uh, my father wasn't in my life regularly growing up. He was there periodically on the weekends, those types of things, but I didn't have that stable influence of, you know, that fatherly kind of advice. So I was asking myself that question, what does it mean to be a father? So first and foremost, I had to admit that I couldn't do it alone. And I started reaching out for support. I started reaching out for, for guidance. Uh, on a more tactical uh, perspective, there are things that I knew I needed to do as well. Uh, you'll appreciate this one. I realized at some point I had stopped learning. You know, education and learning is such a pivotal part of our life. You write about this in Creative Calling, of course, is the work that you're dedicated to today. But when I looked at my resume at some point, man, I had stopped learning. And when I'm talking about learning, I'm not talking about re-enrolling and getting another degree. I have enough of those. But whether that's through podcasts, whether that's through books, whether that's through courses like your Creative Live. So I had atrophy was setting in on the brain. Just a couple other brief things. Um, I realized I hadn't finished anything in a while. You know, we can look at positive psychology and how powerful it is regular ongoing achievement. There was nothing in my life that was being finished. I had a lot of things that are 20% done, 80% done, 70% done, but I got committed to regularly finishing things. 
uh, uh, lastly, what, what I'll share is, and this is gonna sound pretty trivial, but I found it made a big difference, not just in my life, but also in my marriage, was that I started putting things on the calendar in a way that I didn't before. Uh, my wife loves having things on the calendar to look forward to, events, vacations, you name it. I've always been the person that, you know, kind of wanted to go with the flow and was afraid to schedule things in advance because you never know a speaking engagement might come up, et cetera. But I committed to putting things on the calendar uh, to look forward to. And those are three really small things, but three things that made a big difference. Learning again, finishing stuff and having things on the calendar. Mm. Thank you for the tactical advice. And at the same time, there's... Um those tactics are so powerful. This concept of what are we living for things on the calendar. Um, and I think this realization, how important learning is, is absolutely critical. So I, I appreciate you flagging those. And of course I, I took a lot of those away from the book. This, I want to go a little bit deeper on learning because you listed a handful of ways that you learn. Um, go deeper on that. What, what are, now that you feel like you've shifted gears and I know we had a chance to touch base. Um, I was privileged to write a blurb on your book. And when you were in the, in the writing process, you talked about, you know, a little bit about learning in that time too. And I, you know, again, I'm seeing people uh, chime in here all, all over the place again, Atlanta and uh, Arkansas. Uh, we've got a couple other folks and some of the questions I'm seeing are, you know, what specifically did you do to learn and did you put yourself on some sort of a regimen or was it more uh, exploring your curiosity? What Give us some guidance on how you approached it and if you have any advice. Yeah, well, there's a variety of things. First and foremost, uh, one of the biggest things that made a big difference for me from a learning perspective is I'd remind myself of something. And this is going to be, it could be controversial to say, but I think in the, what we've experienced in the past couple of years, uh, one, I'd remind myself that I can learn from people that I disagree with. Uh, I think that's huge right there. I think a lot of times we think we can't learn from people we have disagreements with, whether we know these people or not. So I had to recommit to even learning from folks I, I didn't necessarily disagree with. In terms of a specific regimen, uh, one, I'm a, a podcast junkie. Uh, there's not a day that I'm not listening to a podcast. And these are a wide variety of diverse podcasts from self-development to news to history to philosophy you name it I, I travel a lot in quote unquote normal times so whenever i'm in that car or whether i'm on a plane you name it uh, that's my that's my classroom i've always treated travel as that luxury where i could be in that classroom and continue to learn so podcasts are part of that uh second I'm a nerd when it comes to online courses. Like I, I love learning. I'm a guy that you know has an undergraduate degree and has a, a master's degree as well. So I can't tell you how many online courses that I regularly invest in. And I, I just wanna push pause for a quick second because I work with a lot of professionals. And one thing that I have to remind people and uh, they don't like to hear this all the time, Chase, is that professional development is your responsibility. I say, consider yourself very lucky if the employer that you have actually invests in you and provides you with professional development opportunities. But I just want to remind everyone here that professional development is your responsibility. And here we are. It's still only January. And if you don't have a personal, excuse me, a personal or professional development plan available for yourself, uh, create one. Those key things you want to learn over the course for you, whether that's for personal reasons or if it's for career reasons. So I take tons of online 
courses. Uh, something else that I do regularly is I like to learn from others. So as I mentioned to you previously, uh, I work with a coach. I always find it ironic, Chase, how many people that are coaches that don't have a coach. I'm like, how can you be a coach? <laughs> Seriously, man. How can you be a coach, but you don't have a coach? Uh, I'm reading nonstop. I have a mission for myself every single day at minimum to read 10 pages from a, from a nonfiction book. Uh, right now I'm reading, reading President Obama's book. Uh, it's like freaking 800 pages. <laughs> it's part one or something like that yeah. too, right? It's, 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 it's a beast. Teeny print I, too. I got the, it's teeny, teeny oh, print. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a beast. And I'm sorry, I try to read 10 pages every single day from the book. Uh, the key thing, and this is the game changer for me, and I realized I wasn't doing this previously, but I, I had to go back to being a student, is I always carry a notebook around with me or my notes app because I find that I, I hear some amazing things in these podcasts or you learn something powerful in a course or you read something fascinating from a book, but it's fleeting. It can go away. So I document these things in a notebook. I write them down or in my notes, and I find that when I document them as I'm going, Chase, they... They stay with me like you, all my books. Once I finish a book, like a highlight as I read, then I go back and actually take that book. And I everything that I highlighted, I type into a document so I can always reference it. And it keeps me learning. It makes it easier for me to recall that when I'm on stage or speaking or having a conversation, et cetera. So again, podcasts, online courses, reading books, uh, paying to work with coaches. Uh, those are some of the key things that are, are been beneficial for me. That's another really common theme that I think, you know, the folks, again, I want to say hi to Lynn and Nini and Sergio and Mona, um, Dave, uh, people tuning in from all over the world. Just a reminder that the highest performers, the folks that have been on this show on Creative Live and folks that you look up on the internet, they, while they are world-class, most of them that I know have, um, you mentioned allies. I want to get into that next, but also they have coaches. Tiger Woods, the best golfer to, you know, one of the best golfers to ever play the game has a coach. And certainly the coach can't probably beat Tiger Woods on the, uh, on the course, but this, the function of a coach is, uh, goes beyond just the, the skills. There's a, an accountability. There's all these different aspects of having a coach and, you know, you as a, as a, professional business coach, you know, just shared that you too find a coach. And, I, you know, uh, Mona here is asking about, you know, who are your coaches? Um, do these coaches support you with, you know, is it, is it mental? Is it, is it medicines? And, and how do you track actual change with your coaches? So for anyone out there on the internet, that's curious, maybe you could talk a little bit more about maybe your coaching program and, or, how you work with a coach to uh, paint a picture for someone who might be curious. Yeah. Before we talk about coaching, I think something that's really important to add about the education component, Chase, yeah. is it can't be ad hoc. It can't be random. Uh, most times during the week, I have it scheduled. So it's in my calendar. So I invite mm -hmm. everyone here to make sure it's in their calendar. Uh, for a lot of the high performers that, that I know, one thing they do if they can is they have their kind of ideal week kind of set up. Like I know that I'm doing my podcast only there are two days a week that I can record. That's it. I'm not going to let some random person schedule let mess up my flow on Wednesday because Wednesday is my day to consume content. Like I feel like the work that I do, I do one of three things. I present, I consume, or I create. And I try to schedule that across the week accordingly. So make sure you schedule those learning opportunities into your calendar. Because otherwise, you'll get to the end of the day and realize you didn't do it. 
Uh, from a coaching perspective, th there are so many amazing coaches out there. Uh, I've worked with coaches one-on-one. I've done group coaching programs, which typically are more affordable than working with a coach one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people, but also I offer group coaching programs as well. And each experience with the coach can be totally unique. As Chase mentioned, you can work with a business coach. You can work, of course, with someone, a fitness coach. You can work with a quote-unquote life coach. Uh, what I found pretty fascinating, Chase, in the work that I do is I've been able to work with some amazing CEOs, executives, uh, names of folks you may uh, uh, recognize. But nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, like I'm not in there helping them with their business. Maybe while they called me, it's a business challenge or something like that. But we tend to find out that it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, and we have to peel back some layers. Uh, my approach to coaching is very journalistic. Uh, it's a journalistic approach. I'm a journalist by trade. So one thing I don't proclaim to have is all of the answers. But one thing that I have and one thing you definitely will get in this book are a lot of the questions to support you on your journey and to help you move forward. Um, one thing I want people to know as they're seeking out coaches, and I even give you the name of one of the coaches that I work with, an amazing guy by the name of Mitch Matthews, who you would absolutely love, um, Chase. Mitch Matthews has amazing group coaching programs, but also just a one-on-one -on -one coach. One thing I want people to be aware of when it comes to coaching is this right here, is that there's a difference between a coach and a consultant. And even when I'm working with my clients, if I'm about to consult, I let them know like, hey, I'm transitioning to consultant mode right now. And just briefly, in a really basic way, a coach is definitely going to ask more questions and going to inquire more. A consultant typically is going to tell you what to do. Here's the steps that you should take. Here's the playbook X, Y, and Z. That's what a consultant does. A coach in many ways is going to ask questions to lead you to that answer. So you got to be careful with if you're working with a coach or if you're working with a consultant. Uh, also, if dollars and cents are a challenge, I've also find that you can get amazing coaching in the classrooms, you know, in the groups, in the group chats that are taking place. Again, whatever you are experiencing in your life, I got some good news. You aren't the only one to have ever experienced it before. So whether you're taking a creative live course and you're talking in the comments or you're in a, in a private Facebook group somewhere, a lot of feedback advice is going to be there. And if you reach out to me, otherwise I can point you know, direct, directly, I can point you in the right direction with different types of coaches and, and coaching programs where you can learn more. Amazing laser advice. And this distinction between asking questions and as a, as a coach might do um, and just providing answers. I think so many folks, uh, when they sign up for a class or, uh, or even go to therapy, what I hear is there's a disconnect because they just want someone to tell me what to do. Get up and do 20 push-ups. Get and, and there's a benefit to that, certainly, but I think it's hard to overstate how what a critical piece of the process, this self-reflection is understanding how you tick rather than someone telling you what to eat and how many push-ups to do. There's there's value there, certainly. But you alluded to this earlier. What in in, in I sort of put a pin in it and made a note here in my notes app to go back to um, when you are coaching someone or being coached yourself, there's often, not always, but often something deeper at work. Something you said, I think, peel back the layers of the onion to find out that there's something deeper going on. And walk us through how, how you think about that because you glossed over it a little bit in, in, the, uh, in the spirit of, you know, Efficiency, I think, but 
I don't want to gloss over it because I think it's critical. Yeah. Well, again, not, if not 95 to 100% of the time, when people come to me, what they come to me is the best way to think about this chase. They come to me with the leaf on the tree. And this, by the way, as a journalist, this is what's fascinating to me because as a journalist, a guy that's been in so many different newsrooms over the year, you go out thinking that this is the story. But you know, by the time you hit publish on that or that runs on the news that evening or that documentary is published, what you thought was the story in the beginning ends up being something totally different. I'll give you a brief example from my television days. I remember covering gun violence in a city, right? There's a lot of gun violence, youth gun violence going on, Chase. And I thought the story was about these organizations that were working to stop gun violence in this city. All right, let's go profile them, talk about the great things they're doing. Then we realized that actually wasn't the story. After some due diligence and research, we found out the actual story was there were so many challenges because these organizations were unwilling to work with one another. These nonprofits, because they, even though they had the same mission of stopping youth gun violence, they all were going after the same grant money. And so they wouldn't work with one another, right? That's so, I had the leaf on the tree. So nine times out of 10 in my experience, my job as a journalist or a coach is if someone comes to me with a leaf on the tree, through great curiosity, through great wonder, through great listening, through great question asking, I will then get them to pull back to the branch. I will then get them to pull back to the trunk. I will then get them to pull back, if all goes well, to the roots. You know, the answer people typically give you, why are you late today? Oh, there was traffic. Traffic is just the leaf on the tree. If you dig into with the traffic and then you find out that they woke up late that morning, and then you found out they woke up late that morning because they work a second job in the evening and they were exhausted and they work that second job in the evening because they have to pay for uh, an elder that lives in their family in their care, things get a lot more interesting. It started with, I'm late every single day because of traffic, but you peel back and you find out there's something totally different going on. Uh, people come to me a lot of times, I think, with a beautiful house, if you will, but we, we keep putting these, these fresh layers of paint on the house. But sometimes, as you know, if you want to repaint a house, it's best to actually, you know, strip back to the veneer, to get back to the wood. And that's what my, my work really is, through asking great questions, to get from the leaf down to the roots. And one of the best ways you can do that is continually to, to ask the question, why? Why? Well, yeah. And that was beautiful. Thank you. And, you know, as someone who gets asked to blurb a lot of books, who got an early copy of your book, and if you're just now joining us again, I'm, I'm, we are recording today's show live from around the world. And again, Mayor and Lynn and uh, Bobby and Tam one, two, three, um, folks around the world. Thank you for being a part of our show today. But when, what I admire, you're out here sharing, you know, your journey of writing the book, why you wrote it, um, also prescribing coaching. But what I found is that in your book, stop living on autopilot, that maybe you don't need to completely transform your life, but in, in reading the book in advance for, for preparing blurb for you and, in preparing for our conversation today, there, there were questions there that were better than the coaching that I have had professionally. And I've had executive coaches and 
you know, I was on the Olympic development soccer team and we had some pretty high end coaches there, mental coaches, physical coaches, strength training coaches. And what you have done, and you mentioned earlier, this is a tight time financially for so many people. Um, but I want to congratulate you on writing a book that in many ways acts as a coach for, you know, for 25 bucks or whatever. So um, again, if you're just joining me, I'm Chase. I'm sitting down here with my dear friend, Antonio Neves, and we're talking about his new book, Stop Living on Autopilot, Take Responsibility for Your Life and Rediscover a Bolder, Happier You. Um, you talked about people a second ago, so I want to do a little bit of backtracking. And there's a part in the book, um, you know, I've, I say the words that if you're the average of the five people to spend the most time with, and you ought to choose wisely. And I don't remember the exact, I got a, I got a page turned over here, the exact word, uh, words you used, but uh, I remember ally. And uh, sorry, one second here. Yep. Yeah, on 190, got a big old dog ear here. That's what I'm um, talking about. <laughs> um, building your team of allies. You also talk about allies and thieves. So I'm wondering if you can go a little deeper on that. And, uh, you know, I think about it in terms of community, but to use your vernacular, building allies and thieves. Talk about that for us for a second. Absolutely. Uh, one thing you and I have in common was that we were collegiate athletes. Uh, I wasn't as good as you. I was a walk-on on the track and field team. I was a oh, long jumper, on. long jumper and triple jumper. Uh, but I, I tell you that because two years of being on this track and field team, Chase, at Western Michigan University, I was doing absolutely horrible. And the reason why I knew I was doing absolutely horrible is because one day my head coach, uh, Jack Shaw, rest in peace coach, came up to me and said, you're doing absolutely horrible. Uh, I think the only thing in two years of being on that team that I placed first in was in line at McDonald's after our track and field meets. But Coach Shaw, again, keyword coach, he did something that changed the trajectory of my life. I thought he was going to cut me at the moment, but he did something else. He said, Tony, uh, as he called me, he said, hey, I don't know if you know this, uh, but we have two All-Americans on our team. And he pointed to them, Chase. One, one of these guys would go on to compete in the Olympics, and another one would go on to compete in the World Championships. He says, we have two All-Americans on this team, yet in the two years you've been on our team, not once have I seen you spend any time with them. He said, instead, you're hanging out with those guys, and he points over to the high jump mat. If you know anything about middle school, high school, collegiate track and field, the high jump mat is where people lay back, laugh, have a good time. You know, not bad people, not committing crimes, but they're not all Americans. He says, you're hanging out with those guys. And he just left and he walked away. And what Coach Shaw introduced me to in that moment, man, was this concept that I came up with called thieves. I call them thieves of ambition and allies of glory. So thieves of ambition, as I like to put it, is our people that don't encourage us, that don't inspire us, that don't challenge us, that don't push us, that don't hold us accountable. And that don't test us to be the absolute best version of ourselves. Thieves are those people that when you spend time with them, they wear you out. We all know those people, whether it be at work or at home, they just wear you out. Energy vampires. Thieves are those people that always, and I mean always, chase got drama going on in their lives. You call them, you're like, yo, what's up? And the first thing they say is, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. And you're like, yo, why are things always happening to you and no one else? The cool thing is we get the opportunity to spend time with allies. Allies are those people that do encourage you, that do inspire you, that do challenge you, and that do push you and hold you accountable to be the best version of yourself. Allies don't take energy away from you. They actually give you energy. 
allies, instead of having drama going on in their lives, they have great things going on in their lives. Uh, the challenge of spending time with allies is that they're going to push you. They're going to hold you accountable. The reason why I did not spend time with those All-Americans, which I later did, was because they got up eight earlier than I did. They ate better than I did. They passed on those social events that I went to, right? That they were willing to put in some work that I was un unwilling to, to put in. I read uh, something the other day on social and someone said that greatness is predictable if you look at people's behaviors and, and, and actions. Um, so I just invite everyone who's watching right now with listening right now, just to think about the five people you spend the most time with. Or if you're not seeing people a lot right now, physically, just look at your last five text messages, exchanges in your phone and ask yourself this question. Do the five people you interact with the most, do they make you better or do they keep you standing still exactly where you are? And we can also ask ourselves, Chase, are you an ally to others or are you being a thief to them. I have to tell you the story that I think you're going to love and that you're going to appreciate. Uh, again, allies provide what I call good friction, right? They're, they're going to push you. They're going to make you better. And I know, Chase, I know, I know you're an ally to so many people. And I know you probably walk in a room sometimes. They're like, damn, he's going to make us make it better. <laughs> he's going to make us make it better. Um, when I was in grad school at Columbia University and I was working on my master's thesis, my advisor, Chase, was a Pulitzer Prize winning author one of the best authors out there to do it. And I used to hate turning in drafts of my master's thesis to him. <laughs> and one day he called me out on, he's like, yo, why do you, why are you late turning this in? What is your hesitancy in turning in your master's thesis, these drafts? And I said, my hesitancy is that I know that it's going to come back covered in red ink and there's going to be so much work to do. And he looked at me and smiled like I was a little kid and said, don't you know you pay for the red ink? You pay for the reading. That's where the magic happens in that good friction. But we've reached this day and age, man. If anyone disagrees with us, if anyone uh, provide, tries to give us constructive feedback uh, or criticism, that we call them an idiot, we get defensive. But, you know, listen, that good friction, that red ink, it, where I found is where the magic happens. Uh, and by the way, allies don't need to be your best friends. They don't need to be people you kick it with and hang with every single day. Chase, you are an ally to me. We don't talk every single week or every single month, but I'm still inspired by the things that you do. And I know if I had a question or needed some support or feedback, you'd give me 15 minutes if I needed it. And I know that wouldn't even be a question. I mean, there was a time when we first met Chase, you probably don't recall this one. I, I remember when I first got your phone number. <laughs> and you sent me your your uh, your contact information on the i uh, on the iPhone or whatever. And in that, I remember when I opened up your your contact information, how blown away that I saw your Paris phone number in there. I was like, this dude has a Paris phone number <laughs> on top of his Seattle phone number, and that inspired me. That was like a moment that encouraged me. That the small town kid from seeing this man that has a Paris phone number, a Paris address, like it caused me to dream a little bit bigger. It was no, seriously, little things like that, man, can have an impact on people looking at someone's phone number. So I just had to share that, man. You've been an ally to me in so many ways. Oh, man. And you the same. I think when you to, uh, well, thank you for saying that. That's heartfelt. And I did not know or remember that. Um, but I also uh, remember when 
there was a time when you were hosting on Creative Live, and we have um, we had aspired to continue to grow, and we were doing it, you know, at at a pretty crazy crazy rate. And uh, as we were working on our you know hosting program, and the host for those of you who are familiar with Creative Live, someone who facilitates live classes and sits in there and asks questions and. I've got some folks that are virtual hosts to me right now that are, you know, highlighting comments that the people around the world who are watching live are saying, and and you just came in and brought a completely different uh, level of discipline and acumen, having the experience of Ben being on live national television show, how, you know, as a host yourself, as a journalist. Um, and I remember being inspired by what was possible with this program, how we could truly source incredible talent to, you know, add to the learning that uh, was taking place and and how valuable that was. So, you know, hats off to you. I don't think I want to take my hat off right now because my long ass hair will <laughs> cover my face, but hats off to you for, um, that was a way that you inspired me uh, early on in our relationship. So I, I want to say thank you. Um, Appreciate that, man. That was, that was, that was a lot of fun, man. That, that, that was a blast coming up to, to record those. I remember, I remember it well. Uh, I want to go to the, there's some comments and questions coming in. Um, and I think well, one comment from Scott, uh, Scott says, there's a reason why this just popped up in my field. I feel it. I've been feeling like a buoy just floating along for a while now. And I just went to pick up the book on Audible. Thank you. Thank you. So shout out to uh, Scott. And, and then Mayor asks an interesting question. I'm pivoting careers now new fitness and nutrition trainer, probably integrating my current career writer slash sculptor in the near future. How do we, uh, how can you speak to how I can make use of my past skills in my new direction? I want to just, you know, put a pin in that for a second and say so many people are in a transition period right now. And I think this is exceptional because how does, you know, being a writer and a sculptor, you know, contribute to this new direction. And maybe you're leaving, you know, school teaching because you didn't like, you know, Zoom teaching and you wanted to interface with the kids and you can't now. And you're transitioning to a coach, for example. How how do we reconcile not living in the past, not being attached to what we consider to be identity or attributes um, and how do we sort of unhitch simultaneously respect our past and but yet unhitch our wagon to be able to become something new? This is a question for you, the coach. Yeah, well, it's a big question. Uh, first and foremost, I want to applaud you for being uh, willing to pivot and make that change. A lot of people will talk about it, but they won't always do it. And it's not necessarily always easy. Uh, first and foremost, what you're doing right now is what most people will never do is you're being willing to to bet on yourself. And one thing I'm going to encourage you to do is, you know, you're, it sounds like you made a commitment to do that. But one thing people don't talk about enough is the recommitment part of things. Every single day, you're going to have to recommit to what we say is most important. You asked a question about how you can take your previous learnings and apply that to what you're doing right now. Uh, I have a chapter in the book, and it's all about identifying what your story is. Uh, the truth is that sometimes the things we find boring or normal about ourselves, other people will find extremely fascinating. So again, I'm talking about those things that may not necessarily show up on your resume or your bio or your LinkedIn profile. I bet there are some amazing experiences and things you have from your previous profession or career that are actually going to add value to what you do. 
that's going to give you some unique insight uh, with the clients that you work with moving forward. I can tell you right now, being a journalist working in television, that brings me something special as a coach that helps me distinguish myself from other coaches out there. My level of journalism, that background, that helps me stand out. So I'm just going to invite you to get curious about those things that wouldn't necessarily show up on a resume or bio that are your, your secret sauce, if you will. Uh, something else I just want to invite people right now to remember is as they're looking to pivot. Uh, one thing this book doesn't tell you to do is to quit your job and move to Bali and start writing a book. Like, I'm not telling you to quit anything right now. I'm not telling you to move cities, get a brand new job, move to the other side of the town. Uh, what a lot of people don't like to know is that um, moving new jobs, those things are temporary. Really, what we're trying to figure out is an inside job. You know, that's all just the external stuff. There, there, there people, a lot of people seek ge geographic cures or new job cures or new zip code cures. Those things uh, are fleeting. They're only temporary. Um, but for those people who have jobs right now that are looking to potentially do something else, I just want to reframe what your jobs are. Um, my coach uh, that I work with, Mitch Matthews, said something to me that I'll never forget. He says, a dream job is a job that you absolutely love or a job that allows you to do what you love. And I found that when we reframe how we look at jobs, uh, it can make us a lot happier. That nine to five that we may be frustrated with, that we may not be happy with, when we reframe it as something that allows us to do what we love in the evenings or the weekends or we explore that new position, uh, things can totally shift. Um, what I'm really getting across, and Chase, I write about this in the book, is this willingness to be our own benefactor. As many of you probably know, artists over the years, whether we're talking about Mozart, Harper Lee, Picasso, they all have had benefactors or patrons at some point in their life, people that have provided money, housing, resources, et cetera, so they could do their art, so they could create. Uh, I think that if we look at our nine to five, job, nine to five jobs that a lot of people hate uh, as our benefactors, <laughs> that they allow us to do what we want to do, oh man, the whole game can change. We've reached this interesting place where it seems like people nowadays will only do something if they get an Indiegogo behind it, or they get a Kickstarter behind it, or if they get a GoFundMe behind it. But what I'm inviting people to do is to be willing uh, to kickstart themselves, to be willing to endorse themselves. Uh, does that mean it's going to be easy when you make these transitions? Absolutely not. If anything, expect immediate friction, expect resistance. Uh, something that a lot of people won't tell you is that as you're making transformation happen in your life, Sometimes it's messy. Transformation can be a messy process because the universe, society, people are going to continually ask you in unique ways, are you serious? Are you serious? Because we're going to put some roadblocks in your way to see if you are truly recommitted to that. We're going to keep the other door open. We want to see how you choose to show up. So uh, I applaud her for being willing to pivot. And it sounds like what you're doing is being your own benefactor and being willing to endorse yourself, which I think is exceptional. Well. Uh, Mayor, just chime back in on that same comment thread. Hey, I want to say, just so you know, I'll never stop writing or sculpting. And I think, you know, what her, her or his, her or their comment uh, in line with your sort of uh, the discourse right there, it just, it, it has to underscore that whoever you are and listening and watching right now, that you, you are wildly unique. The experiences that you might be having are not, but only you have lived your life. And all of the stuff, what you know, as James Victoria, my dear friend, I was just texting with before we hopped on, has said so well, what made you weird as a kid 
is probably one of your strongest attributes as an adult. And leaning in, you know, you talked about leaning in quite a bit in your book here, leaning into those attributes and those identities and the thing that may be perceived as a weakness uh, could and probably is one of your greatest strengths. So, you know, for, for Mayor to bring that writing and sculpting along on that journey to becoming a fitness coach, you know, that's pro- there's probably going to be all kinds of benefits to, you know, the work that you've done. And we can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? We only get to see that my, you know, attempts at being an oil painter for years and years and my, the coaching that I received as a, an athlete and my quitting medical school or dropping out of a, a, a PhD program, all of those things actually contributed to this weird blob that I am today that allow me to do, you know, something that is potentially unique. And just, we can't forget that. And, and I stress that, you know, you did such a nice job of that in the book. Um, I don't know if you have any, I'm just ranting here because I'm inspired no, think, by the advice that you just gave to Mayor. Yeah. But. Well, let me just say, first and foremost, I'm just so glad you're not a PhD, Chase. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Oh man, I'm I did glad. not fit into that program. I promise. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen, but that's the thing right now. A lot of people are trying to, as I put it in the book, people, they feel off right now, but they're, cause they're trying to fit into something that doesn't fit. Right. It's like trying to fit into a shoe. That's a half size too small. That's why you feel uncomfortable right now. Uh, one thing you hit on about the decisions you were willing to make, and, and this is a harsh one. Again, this book is definitely direct, is I want people to know that, you know, their dreams have an expiration date. Like our dreams have an expiration date if we don't choose to act on them. And don't get me wrong. I understand that that is hard to hear, but it's the truth. I truly believe that um, a tombstone can have three dates. The date that we're born, the date that we give up, and the date that we die. And sadly, for so many different people, there's a large gap between the date that we give up or the date that we settle, if you will, and the date that we die. And you talk about briefly, briefly about James, who I want to meet, by the way. I follow him on social and I just love everything he does. You talk about how the weirdness is what makes us special. You don't know this, Chase, but you're one of the people that gave me the courage to actually show up differently. I remember working with you and briefly, just to rewind, when I was growing up, I thought success was that guy who lived on the other side of town in that nice house that had a garage. And he wore this uniform chase of khakis, white button up, blue blazer, maybe with some gold tassels on it and loafers with with tassels on it. For the longest time, I thought that's what success was. The, The day that I get to wear that uniform, I've made it. I remember putting that on when I got an internship in college, the khakis, white button up, blue blazer and loafers, looked at myself in the mirror and like, I made it. And I was like, I don't feel like me at all. Who is this guy I'm looking at? But for many years, I wore that quote unquote uniform around with me. And Chase, it wasn't until just a few years back, probably three years ago, that I decided to stop wearing the, the speaker uniform I used to wear, the journalism uniform I used to wear. And I started dressing like me, the way you see now, a cat that likes to rock hats, that rock sneakers, that might rock a chore jacket and a nice, a nice t-shirt. And I was afraid the first time I went on the stage, not dressed like everyone in the audience, that I was gonna that I was gonna be rejected. And the client was gonna be like, who is this guy? Funny enough, I found that when I actually showed up like me, if anything, I got more respect from the audience. It built up my credibility because I was being me as opposed to being them. And I got to say, you inspired me because I remember observing you early on at Creative Live. And I was like, this dude 
This dude looks like a dirt bag and he's raised $50 million. <laughs> he's walking in his own lane. He's not trying to be like anyone else. He's trying to be like Chase. And as you know, Chase, one of the hardest things, advice we can ever get is just be yourself. And I, it took me a long time to figure out who, who I am and it's still an ongoing journey. But you inspired me by how you showed up and not caving into what societal norms tells us what to do. So I applaud those folks who realize their dreams have an expiration date and they're leaning into them. I applaud those folks who are willing to be a little bit weird and go against uh, convention. Let's be clear, society's a conveyor belt. They want you to jump on. And when you decide to jump off, just know that everyone's not gonna agree with you. And just know just because you're going your own way doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. I wish somebody told me that a long time ago. Beautiful. And to close that chapter on our last, uh, the, the comments and, and questions that are coming in, Mayor, just chime back. I want to mention that I'm a 63-year-old awesome woman. And so the transition to a fitness and nutrition coach from a writer and sculptor at 63, I want to give you a shout out. Uh, and uh, it's just very inspirational. And and thank you for providing the guidance in real time, real time coaching here with, with Mr. Nebs. Um, thank you for that, bud. I appreciate that. So I want to go away from the content of what you've been putting out right now, away from uh, the book, again, Stop Living on Autopilot. It is available now, just dropped this past week. Congratulations. And I can't recommend it enough. Again, there's my copy just folded and torn and, and beat up. I've been lugging around uh, with me. Um, I want to go away from the content of the book and to your creative process. I remember uh, reading and also speaking to you that you didn't go on some sabbatical. I uh, just had Matthew McConaughey on the show and he talked about going to the desert for 30 days to write his memoir, Green Lights. And you're very clear in both our conversations and in the book that that was not your creative process. You created this book in amidst life, in all of its challenges of being a father of twins uh, and a husband and uh, a coach and someone who traveled and now amidst a pandemic. And I'm curious if you could go a little deeper there because there's so many people right now that are struggling to pursue their dreams because life is different and uh, we're maybe unable to carve out what would be considered enough time or enough space to pursue the dreams that we have for this one precious life. So talk to me about your process. Yeah. Uh, well, one, I, you know, I glamorized, like you said, writing the book and going to Vermont or New Hampshire or going to McDowell or Yaddo, some, you know, some colony to get away in the woods to write this book. And just in general, but I'll say the best thing to happen to me was that that was, wasn't able to happen uh, because it allowed me to create, I think, what was real. And I think if I wrote something somewhere else in that quote unquote perfect setting, uh, it would have been very, very manufactured. It would have been a very different book. Uh, uh, you know, by the way, I love Matthew's book. It's amazing. Um, and I, I've heard in interviews him talking about going away to the desert and I'm like, bless you. I uh, wish, <laughs> uh, I, you know, people think that writing and doing creative endeavors sometimes is going to be sexy, man. They think it's going to be a glamorous progress, uh, process, but I tell people not to remind myself sometimes that even when you're doing work that you love. It's not always going to feel like a sunny day, rainbows and unicorns. Most days, real talk for me, it feels like I'm working a shift sometimes. 
like showing up for the work. And I think that's where the magic happens in the shift when no one is watching. Uh, people I hear, well, I have kids, I have to work, I do that. I hear a lot of excuses, the same excuses that, I, that I've had over the time. Uh, I don't like waking up at 4.30 a.m., Chase. Let's be clear. Uh, but there are many times that I had to wake up at 4.30 so I could get in an hour and a half or two hours of writing in before my kids got up. And what that taught me to be was diligent, man, because I knew I only had X amount of time, so I had to write during that time, and it required me being extremely structured. I like to sleep on planes as much as the next man <laughs> or woman, but sometimes I knew that wasn't necessarily uh, the luxury that I had. Uh, this book and a lot of my creative projects, I go to libraries, I go to cafes, I do something that you, you I, something tells me you may not love this, the idea of this. Uh, but I work in spurts. So if I know I have three hours at the library, uh, what I'll do is I set a timer for 45 minutes and I write for 45 minutes or create for 45 minutes. And then I have 15 minutes to do what I got to do, take a break, go to the bathroom, have some water. Then I'll set the timer again for another 45 minutes. And so I write my, my, my writing, everything for me is scheduled in many ways it's organized. And I think that's because I've, been alive long enough that if I grow a beard, I have some gray hairs that show up on my chin that like, I'm not waiting for motivation to strike me. I'm not waiting for it to hit me out of the blue. I know what's going to show up in the midst of my writing as, as Seth Golden says, who he, he brilliantly has, has said brilliantly has said on your podcast. Um, it, it shows up when I'm working. Right. And so as long as I commit and I show up every single day, uh, you end up creating your own momentum. I find that when I show up every single day, even if it's just for 15 or 20 minutes a day, it works kind of like compound interest. It's that, that snowball effect, like the ideas that just, that just come out. So my creative process is not sexy. It's not glamorous. Uh, sometimes I have to put the white noise on the headphones. Uh, but one thing I'm committed to is, is showing up every single day, even if I don't feel like it. Uh, last thing I'll say on that, I'm working with a coaching client right now and he had this amazing revelation. And he said, uh, you know, I've realized that how I wake up, meaning if he's grumpy or tired, doesn't have to determine how I show up. Meaning he can still show up with a good attitude. He can still show up with the effort that he, with the, with the good effort uh, and the behaviors that, um, you know, lead to good outcomes. So it's a choice. Uh, but it's not, it's not always, uh, sometimes doing the work you love feels like you're working a shift. And I don't think enough people know that. No, it's so well put and contrary to your, your supposition. I, I didn't, I didn't have any issues with anything you said there. In fact, it's sort of what your, 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 your methodology of working for 45 minutes and taking 15 minutes off is similar to a technique called the Pomodoro technique, um, which is a sort of a type of timer where you, you know, you work diligently, no distractions for X amount of time. I wrote about it in Creative Calling. You can Google it. I got that from uh, that inspiration from Justin Beretta of the Glitch Mob, uh, electronic music group, dear friend. He's been on the show. Uh, so I, I'm a huge fan of that. And I think it creates uh, discipline. And you talked about showing up and doing the work. I, I too, did that 4 a.m. thing, 4.30 in the morning when, you know, life was very busy. And I actually made videos of those moments to remind myself how much it sucked, but, and how confused and, you know, how dark it was outside and how it was the opposite of inspiration. But I think it's Chuck Close is like, you know, 
the best creators don't wait for inspiration to strike. They sit down and they go to work. If you waited to, to create only when you're inspired, you wouldn't have very much stuff at the end of your creative days. So, um, I agree. And just, and just briefly, I just encourage people, uh, this doesn't sound counterintuitive, but I like to remind people sometimes do less than you're capable of. Yeah. You heard me correctly. Do less than you're capable of because people will say things. I'm going to write all day. No, you're not. You're not going to write all day. Put it to, <laughs> Put a timer on for 30 seven. You know, I'm going to write for 15 minutes today. And what's amazing is, you know, Chase, if you write 15 minutes every single day, do you know how many words you're going to have in seven days, in 30 days, in 90 days, et cetera? I'm going to work out every day. No, you're not. How, how about we start with walking for 20 minutes three times a week? Let, how about we start there and just show up for those three days and let that build? Because as you know, Chase, you may say I'm only going to write for 15 minutes, but typically that that fall, all of a sudden it's 20 minutes, it's 30 minutes. I'm just asking people to get started. But sometimes the best way to start is by doing less than you're capable of. Beautiful. Um, Muter Media from Germany says, hello, thank you so much. Antonio Ortiz from Playa de Carmen, Mexico. Jennifer Mlowney says, this is pure gold. Needed this so much. Terry, so easy to listen to you. Thank you so much for validating us. Um, to say that the watchers and listeners are inspired would be an understatement, but I would also remiss to, I would be remiss to say, Antonio, you have put in the work. And what I loved about this book and you, the person that I know is uh, you've, continue to do that through thick and thin, through all kinds of transitions in your life um, and your willingness to share that openly, transparently, and invite others to see inside your um, imperfection. As you know, Brene Brown to quote her, the gifts of imperfection, that's the best stuff in life. So I want to say you know, personally, uh, as a friend and as the host of the show, thank you so much for showing up today. Clearly, um, clearly you're having a massive impact and I want to say congratulations on the show. I want to ask one last question that just came in that I think is really well-timed and you've used this phrase so many times throughout our conversation. It's, uh, it's mentioned numerous times in the book, uh, and Bill, um, Bill Heiser floats this question that I'm going to end with today, which is you talk a lot about showing up but what is your version of showing up? How would you, Antonio, define it? My version of, of showing, showing up. up. That's a really, really great question. Um, I want, I've worked enough jobs and had enough experiences over my life that I, I know what it's not to show up. I know what it's like to, to go to bed, frankly, Chase, and feel like I haven't earned my sleep for the day. I know it's a, great, much, it's a great chapter in the book, a great yeah. section of the book, by the way. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Yeah, being being willing to, to earn your sleep. Uh, I don't know about all of you, um, but I feel taps on my shoulder. I feel tugs in my stomach when I'm not showing up the way that I can show up as a husband, when I'm not showing up the way that I can show up as a father, friend, uh, as an entrepreneur, business owner as well. And I just want to know at the end of the day, uh, I did what was most important and I gave my all to that. And for me, that has meant doing less. Uh, in the past, I've been really good at spreading myself extremely thin. 
but a question I start my day with every single day from a business perspective is if only three things happen today to make that will make this day a success, what are those three things? And let me tell you, it's like when Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, says if you have more than three priorities, you don't have any. So when I kind of set that baseline for my day, what are the three things that are most important? Uh, that, that gives me purpose for the day and it allows me not to get distracted uh, with what comes into my inbox. And I have to remind myself sometimes that my email inbox is not my to-do list. It's a good distraction, by the way. Uh, so I show up by knowing what those three things are. Um, I show up uh, as a husband, um, asking, am I fully leaning into that? And I have to remind myself sometimes, Chase, of when I first started dating my wife and how I showed up in those early days and how much of that man still exists today. Is he still listening? Is he still asking those questions? Is he still putting himself together to look good for her? You know, um, as a parent, there's always been a dream for me to be a parent. And, you know, I have to ask myself, is, is my, has my phone been between me and my kids too much? today? Have I said, give me five minutes too many times today? Um, I'm not sure if I'm hundred percent answering the question, but oh, I know, deep, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know deep in my soul, even if I'm physically tired, if I earned my sleep or not. And, uh, and I don't like the feeling when I haven't earned my sleep. Um, and that's when I'm on autopilot. That's when I'm going through the motions. And I want to feel like my, my foot's on the pedal at all times. Sometimes I'll be going over 100. Sometimes I'll be at 25 miles per hour. And there's a time for all of those speeds. Uh, but I know deep in my core and my hunches, everybody listening to this right now, they they have that, that, that voice in their head that talks to them that says, this is it or this isn't it. Or there's more. You got five more minutes in you. Uh, you know what? You can put your phone down. You can hug love a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just doing my best to earn my sleep, man. Amazing. Thank you so much for putting a beautiful bow in our conversation. Owen's giving you a shout out. Radonna, thank you. This has been an amazing listen. Heard so many things that resonated. Douglas Brown, I've heard enough, man. I just bought the audiobook and cannot wait to listen to it. Uh, Allison Greig from Santa Barbara, thank you for the motivation. LS from Montreal, this is a gem. Daniel said, keep going, keep going with all of this. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, again, I want to take a, just 20 seconds here and say, I appreciate you, respect you so much as a person, as a creator. Uh, congratulations on this book dropping this week. I know how much time and energy and effort and experience you poured into it as the coach and the person. Um, just want to say, I see you and grateful for all that you do, my man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Chase. All right, that is a wrap. But before you go, hey, I wanted to say thank you so much. And I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world. And I have a great answer for that. And it is sharing this show. Um, my goal is I create this content with a, with a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live. And our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the, the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests uh, in, in search results on each of the platforms. And it means a lot. So thank you so much. Really, really grateful. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode, hopefully soon, maybe next, maybe right after this, maybe you're going to listen Anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you.